Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Future Cities. I'm Steve Nelser. In 2020, issues of systemic racism and racial justice rightfully rose to the forefront of many people's minds. These issues are relevant in all aspects of society, including academia and STEM fields. In solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement, and inspired by other efforts that we've seen on social media to elevate black voices in STEM, we wanted to use our platform on this podcast to amplify the voices of black scientists working in the field of urban resilience. So for Black History Month, February, we will be publishing one episode every week featuring a conversation with a different black scientist in our field. We've never published so many episodes in such a short period of time and plan to go back to just publishing one or two episodes a month after this, but our team felt that this was important and we're willing to put in the extra work to get these conversations to you. So a big thanks to Yoan Kim, Robert Lloyd, and Marissa Matzler for taking the lead on these special episodes. This week's episode is the fourth and final installment of our Black History Month series, so I'd highly, highly recommend that you go back and listen to the previous three episodes if you happen to miss them. I also want to again say a big thank you to our team members for making these episodes happen, and a huge, huge thank you to all of our wonderful guests. Okay, without further ado, please enjoy the episode. Hello everyone, this is Yao Wang Kim. I'm a postdoc scholar with the UREX SRN. Today we have Dr. Lalani Manetti, who is a postdoc scholar at the Urban Studies Institute at Georgia State University in Atlanta. We're going to talk about her work on urban system science, and especially she's focused on future visioning and scenario developing. To briefly introduce uh, her background, she got her PhD in conservation ecology in Stellenbosch University in South Africa. Hi, Lalani. Hi, Yoan. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Um, Thank you for including me on this podcast series. Uh, It's a great honor. I've always wanted to um, learn more about this group and what you guys are talking about. So it's great to be at, great to be featured. Yes, we are very excited to get to know more about you and your work. So um, let's, uh, you know, so you are a postdoc scholar at the Urban Systems Lab and you are, you, before that you were working in South Africa. So that's really interesting. Can you tell us about a little bit of your background? How did you get into your field and some of your you know, background story, how you got here? Well, long story long, so to say, uh, my background, like you said, was in conservation ecology. I did start off, however, as a little girl, always wanting to work with lions. Actually, I wanted to become an astronaut, but we didn't have a NASA. So I wanted to work with lions and I got into the conservation field. Um, and then it, it's a pretty good program. Even in that time, it was an interdisciplinary program. And I soon came to learn that as much as I wanted to work with lions, we need to incorporate the human aspect in conservation. So moved on to do my master's and that had a social aspect. Um, I worked with an indigenous group in a, trans- a transboundary park that spans Namibia, Botswana and South Africa. And that's where I incorporated a lot of the social um, components of, of, of what we do in social ecological systems research. and. Then I think moving forward, I realized that a lot of it, as much as we need to incorporate the human aspect, we also need to incorporate the political aspect, I guess. And that's where I then went to do my doctorate in uh, Namibia, working on the protected area network, expanding that and what types of policy reform governance changes 
customary laws that would need to then be changed if we want to envision this this longer term expanded protected area network. So that's kind of how I got into that um, line with the social, political, ecological work. And then I think the challenge for me was where do I then incorporate a technological aspect? Because we all know as great as it was to work on the rural aspect, as much as I loved working close to nature, close with animals, we are becoming more urbanized. The world is becoming more urbanized. And the challenge for me was then, how do I incorporate a technological aspect to that? So that's kind of when I flipped the script, applied for a postdoc at the Urban Resilience to Extreme Events. That's where we got to meet. And that's how I now work in urban systems. Moving throughout it all, my work always has to do with complex adaptive systems. I just kind of changed from the rural to the urban so that I can incorporate that um, technological aspect to it. That's a really interesting. And I'm so happy that you found interest in the urban systems. That's how we got to work together. It's really interesting that you um, you studied and you worked on the social political parts uh, of nature systems in Africa. Like, is there any particular institutions or governmental agencies that you worked with to make your study uh, to be applied in practice? We here in UXSRN, we work with cities to make our research more actionable and to be uh, applicable in cities. And then I wonder other parts of the world, what efforts are uh, being made? So things, as you can imagine, are slightly different. Uh, I can speak for the Southern African context. I know in East Africa, it changes slightly as it does in North Africa. But in the Southern African context, uh, grassroots organizations play a pivotal role in you know, making these things happen. And I think a lot of my partners were non-governmental organizations, um, these grassroots people that are close to the effort on the ground. And then at the same time, also international organizations such as the IUCN, they also had, you know, strong um, ties within at least Namibian, Botswana, South Africa context. And then there's, I mean, there are also government organizations but they would, a lot of the times, they would direct you to, because it's conservation, special interest, they would a lot of times direct you to these NGO groups, which in themselves are pretty well organized and very well respected in the Namibian context, specifically, more so than in South Africa. But in Namibia, I think there's even organizations of these organizations that um, are highly revered in Namibia, which was quite shocking when I got here, because I, you know, you expect it to be the same everywhere else, but it, it was different there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that the grassroots uh, organizations play a, a, a vital role in that. Um, and because the here, you know, it's more more like the like a top level or the high level organizations plays an important role. Even though we we are moving towards to more working with community based organizations and then trying to integrate, you know, you know, grassroots perspectives into decisions and so on. And just to our let or uh, audiences know that IUCN uh, is International Union for Conservation of Nature, right? Correct. It's a <laughs> French term, which I don't know how to say, so I just sped along on that one. But thank you for, for that. You know, it's really interesting to hear everyone's you know, background story because we are in a very large research network, scientists and researchers, practitioners, around more than hundreds people and everyone has a very different background, different cultural 
different racial background and different educational backgrounds. So I think it's really interesting to listen to the story, their story, and then how we got here. So with your background, can you tell us some of your uh, highlights of your research? You know, it can be your current research or your past research. And maybe, you know, what have you been working on lately, more recently, that you want to tell us about? In terms of highlights, I, I mean, they, they, you know, they are those typical highlights that are on our mom's fridges, right? But I think for me that I find very memorable has been the way that I have woven things together in terms of incorporating the social, then the political, and now the, the technological, and just kind of forging out that path, um, knowing what the problem is I want to contribute to. I mean, not the problem, but the solutions to that problem, right? Knowing what those are and how I then need to mold myself to be able to contribute to the solutions um, as an academic, as a human being. Also as an interdisciplinary scholar, right? You, we keep, we keep uh, thinking about how we open things together that we, that's, you know, we've been thinking about and studying about. Correct. And I mean, there's, there's no, I mean, now it's a little bit different in terms of, you know, there are schools that are set up as interdisciplinary, increasingly as multidisciplinary. But, you know, when we started off, it was very much siloed disciplinarian work. So uh, just being able to kind of find your own path, uh, because there aren't always defined trajectories to go on that, that I think was my major highlight. And then the amazing people that I did get to, to meet, teachers in the very and so many various forms that you wouldn't even think somebody might be a teacher or something or an experience might teach you something that has been amazing and I think especially now with with the, the our current research collaboration and the network that we have now being able to see how, what is possible when people come together with these diverse backgrounds with these different ways of doing things and then what they are capable of achieving yes some things might take longer because it is such a big network but again the bigger picture, what you can achieve as a whole. That has been fair. That's definitely been one of my highlights. What about you? I always wonder what, what, what does somebody actually consider a highlight? Should I mention prizes or grants or whatever? Or I don't know. No, I think if, if it, this question was asked to me, I think I'll just highlight uh, some of my key research projects, you know, that I did in master's and during my uh, work time in organizations like Korea Research Institute, I, there I worked on the stormwater management policy, but basically, Ooh. basically adapting the US policy into Korean context. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then, and then, so, and then I, when I was working at UNESCO, I worked on the, the international hydrological program, which was, and my role was to revitalize the eco-hydrology projects around the world. So like I basically contacted like 40 something different like cities. Is your demonstration demonstration site still, you know, alive? Is this still <laughs> going on? <laughs> and trying to, you know, like make it as a database. So that's, yes. that's my, yeah, that's my work highlights, I guess. And then, you know, during my PhD, um, I, you know, I wanted to look at things more at more um, urban systems level and like systems level so more high level scale. That's how I got into the urban resilience work. And then there I focused on the infrastructure 
a risk evaluation focused on more failure, not the, not the probability calculation. So mm -hmm. there I developed the safe to fail theory and so on. I think I would highlight those. So do you want to tell us some of your highlights of your research? Research definitely always have been a highlight. I, I, I am just a nerd in that context. My, for my master's work, I was fortunate enough. Like I said, I, I realized that conservation is beyond saving or preserving or conserving areas. Mm -hmm. There's more to it, the social aspect. And then I was fortunate enough to, the South African National Parks, they had they had money set aside and then they had a group that had been given, an indigenous group of people that had been given back their land in a land claim, um, in the land claim process. But they wanted the, the indigenous group themselves, they wanted somebody that would research their plant use, research their social networks, research their knowledge systems. And they brought a bunch of us along. I was the only master's students, two, two other doctoral students. And my task, so to say, was to get to know this group uh, and then, you know, essentially save the plants that they do use for medicinal purposes, for household purposes, save that in the so-called scientific, um, what do you call it, repository? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and then also um, get to know their social networks, how they pass on this knowledge. Mm -hmm. So that was my, because I had come from uh, ecology, strict, how could I say science, natural science background, that was tough with the, you know, having to work with people now and having to learn how to collect data from people, how to analyze data that you get from people. But fortunately for me, I had two brilliant ad advisors that were also interdisciplinarians that were also learning, so to say, on the job as we were going mm -hmm. along. So that was a fascinating process. It was a fascinating group of people. And in terms of research highlights i think what what stuck with me and that still sticks with like you know it's still very much ingrained is from the western or the the scientific way that we do things that dichotomy between people and nature it's us and and the outside they don't have that indigenous this particular indigenous groups that they didn't have that they were all part of nature it was one right it was part of the system so that's where social ecological kind of really clicked to to me and i know we do it differently across the world it is done differently and that's why different knowledge systems are so important but i think that's where i got to work on it on a practical level and that was brilliant. That was masters that got me into the the knowledge system sphere, the social network sphere. I loved that. Loved them. Learned so much about myself. But then also wanted to do something back home um, that was focused, like I said, on that political aspect, the governance aspect. Right? How do you now bring policy into it? Because that's what I learned from them in terms of, you know, when you write up your work, you're like, okay, fine. In terms of future research, this needs more emphasis. And for me, the emphasis was on the policies. They had been given back this land and that process, you know, there are certain benefits and there were also certain critiques to that benefit, uh, to that process. So that's kind of what I wanted to delve into. Back home in Namibia, where I'm from, I wanted to then delve into our policy that has to do with land reform, land redistribution, land tenure. When it comes to expanding this protected area network, who needs to be involved in these decisions? Otherwise, we're just going to end up with the problems that we have now, but on a bigger scale, right? And that's kind of where the envisioning Yes, policy is important, but now you need to kind of find out what do the people what do the people want? 
right? People that are using that land, people that are dependent on the land, what do they want? And that's kind of, you know, wait, you know, that's where the doctoral work started, you know, sussing out those aspects. And I had to get to know a lot of the legal terms. I had to get to know the people that were involved in a lot of the, these. And that's also where my, um, my getting to know the grassroots and then NGOs and all those organizations that were involved, not just conservation wise, but but uh, human rights groups, indigenous um, knowledge groups. And that was fascinating. That was, you know, that's where I did the stakeholder analysis, designed the the, the protocol for for who to who to reach out to, and then the types of questions, and then analyzing those. Because, like I said, I had to learn that coming from an ecology background. So that was then um, those highlights. And then maybe it's probably not a research highlight, but I had always had on my vision board, I want to do a PhD, and I got my PhD, and I was like, okay, now what? Right. So there was, you know, that crisis of where am I? What am I? What, what am I going to do now? So having um, attained my doctorate, I was like, okay, there's this great opportunity to go. It was in, in, in Northeast um, Namibia. It was also with Indigenous, it was a different Indigenous group, but get to work with them and kind of design, again, their, their, their visions for the future, not just conservation related, but just, you know, human well-being, uh, long-term futures. And it was it was amazing. It was three months living with elephants, living you know, living with nature. It was it was amazing. I learned a lot about myself. But that's where I realized that I definitely want to stay in research. I want to stay in academia in some way or another. It's great to get your hands dirty, to be able to say, I know that you know this that this is what the life is like. But at the same time, because of who I am, because of like I said, I there's this there's this problem, this collective problem that I want to offer solutions towards. And um, as much fun as I had getting my hands dirty, for me, I wanted to do it through science, through peer reviewed, this approach, right? And then, so, like I also said, um, the pressure would be on rural areas. If we become more urbanized, if we become a more technological society, the pressure would be on those type of rural systems. So get ahead of the game, get to know the, the, the urban technological you know, sphere, because I'm not saying that that's where the problem starts off, but that's, I think, where we can make the biggest contribution as, as researchers, as scientists, for the, the rest of the, you know, the, the rural, peri-urban, uh, et cetera. So that's kind of where the postdoc work that came in and because I was challenged by it because I knew I had just done the doctorate I had just done the grassroots getting my hands dirty type of, of experience now I need to kind of catapult myself into something that is so out of my comfort zone something that I would need I'd be, I'd be forced to learn new techniques I'd be forced to learn new ways new people new networks and that's kind of where I, I found this experience <clears throat> which has taken me out of that comfort zone, but it, which has taught me so much more. Uh, so yes, re-answering re, re that question, I think in terms of highlights, that would be it. You know, it makes sense that now you, so now you are uh, the postdoc scholar and the lead, you know, co-lead for the scenarios working group of the USSR, which, you know, this working group develops scenarios through extensive stakeholder engagements and uh, modeling approaches. So we do lots of participatory workshop as a base to, you know, to ex explore alternative pathways for, you know, urban futures in different cities. And then your background is perfectly aligned with this, you know, 
research method that you were very rooted in participatory uh, approaches doing your research. So now I can see that why you became, uh, you know, the person, the key person in the scenarios working group. So do you want to uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your more recent research about scenarios uh, development work for your SSRN? Can you maybe start explaining uh, about the scenarios work first? Because I think not many people listening to this might not know well about, you know, what's the scenarios when we say scenarios and you know, what's the scenarios development okay. process for your So when you make reference to the scenarios work, and I think, uh, you know, we, we throw that term around a lot. It, it's also important to remember that scenarios means different things to different people. I suppose even even within our group, if you were to ask uh, different people, um, what does a scenario mean? You'd get different answers. Essentially, they they encapsulate those visions, long-term visions or desired futures, and at the same time, they can also be predictions or forecasts. So you know, so some of our group that works on the quantitative uh, aspect would uh, refer to scenarios as predictions or forecasts. We do that more. We we consider or define scenarios as the narrative or a story about the future of a place or a situation. And then also importance or the reason why we do it is so that if we know what the desired future is, the desired long-term, we can, uh, I don't want to say produce, but we can kind of, you know, um, encourage or help along <laughs> the anticipatory knowledge that is needed to bring those futures about, right? We can highlight conflicts, trade-offs. We can start honing in on, on, on barriers that would prevent those scenarios from becoming a, a reality. And then a lot of our work is um, in how we co-produce those because it's easy to say, oh, I want this as my future, but that's just you. You need to do it as a collective. It has to have vo multiple voices that contribute to that. People that are actually working in cities that are you know, designing governance planning documents that are the ones that are planning the cities, they need to be the ones that are included in this, not just us as researchers or not just, you know, a community of practice groups. So it has to be, so we talk about scenarios in that sense of a story or a narrative of the long-term desired future, but that is co-produced by multiple groups of people. And then, I mean, at the same time, just getting a little bit granular here, the scenarios still need to make sense about the, the, the future. They, it has to be something that is, I want to say possible because we do want to we do want these transformative scenarios to come about but they need to be plausible in the sense that you do need to take into consideration the history of you know how we got to the present day and then at the same time how the present day what we're doing now will affect those long-term uh, futures and how we can change that if we want to take those into consideration so as much as you know people consider scenarios to be the crystal balling of, 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 of research. It's not, it, it has to take into consideration, it has to be plausible. They need to be coherent, they need to make sense. And then, then once we know what they are, we work on causal relationships, what is causing the system variables to react in a certain way, what is preventing them from reacting in a certain way. We test them, we create alternative um, ways, we figure out, you know, in, in, internal consistency etc there's a there's a whole lot more to it um so yeah the scenarios i suppose uh, when, when we when we throw that term around that is essentially what we're encapsulating and then my work in the scenarios group 
would be planning those workshops, those co-production workshops, contributing to how to set them up in terms of, remember, we need to do our homework before the time. We don't, we can't just show up and, and say, okay, tell me what your future is that you want to see. We, a lot of work goes into that. My particular work is focused on, on studying the policy, doing the policy analysis across these these um, cities. That's where we all, you and I work together. Other, other groups are more on the survey that gets distributed before the time. And I don't know <clears throat> how much depth you want me to go into this, but there's, there's, there's multiple um, inputs that go into the workshops, right? So they are informed by these various uh, streams uh, of knowledge that is gathered in different ways, but they all contribute then to an actual workshop. And then that workshop gets analyzed quantitatively, uh, qualitatively synthesized by a variety of us in different ways. And um, depending on what the city's needs are, they then get you know utilized in a variety of ways. We try and have a follow-up workshop so that we can work on those now that we've <clears throat> been able to reflect on things and gain new knowledge. Things have happened in between that time. And then that's kind of where I now come in. And that's basically what my work recently has been on so that we can give something back to our um, research uh, collaborators, our city practitioners, in terms of, okay, this work, we've created all this, we've built these relationships, let's take this work further. And for from our side, we want to um, offer you this primer that kind of concisely brings things together. This is what we've learned throughout the years. This is, if we were to summarize or to have a quick list of how we set up this, this is, you know, all put together in a primer. And that's where we were um, before COVID, so to say. But now instead of handing that over to our uh, collaborators, we would like to add an element of if you were to do that virtually, this, this would be our suggestions. So that's basically what I'm working on now. So that the, the original primer was finished, but instead of saying, okay, that's how we would have done things, but we know you can't, you can't have a workshop as we would, you know, in the previous, uh, before the pandemic, um, we would like to offer them some sort of alternatives. Uh, so right now we're looking at this new virtual hybrid approach to doing these workshops, so-called the facilitator's guide to the virtual futures workshop. I don't know yet, but something that's, you know, cutting edge, we're all still learning, figuring out how to, to, do, to do this on a hybrid sphere. Yeah, it's fascinating process. And, you know, I'm like also very, um, you know, glad that we uh, you guys are taking a different approach uh, with the COVID time and then trying to to how we, we could, you know, we could actually fit our uh, results that we got from the scenarios workshops uh, back into the cities with uh, with this, you know, difficult time that everything needs to be done in virtual. And then I am excited to see, you know, what's, what's gonna happen and then, you know, how we, you know, adapt. So like we are adapting to the situation as, as cities. So I think, you know, it's, it's really interesting approach. And um, yeah, and I heard that you guys, the scenarios working group, uh, the key researchers in the group are also preparing an episode for this future cities podcast. So I am excited to learn more about this, um, you know, in the upcoming episode. So stay tuned, everyone. <laughs> so yeah, you know, now you're mentioning COVID time. Um, 
2020 has been an eventful year, COVID-19, racial justice uprisings, the elections. So there were so many things, you know, that, that really, you know, shook, shaken our minds. So how have you responded to any of these uh, things through your work or have you responded to those, I guess, you know, like the scenarios work that you guys are making, uh, making it to be virtual um, uh, facilitator uh, workshops is, uh, I guess, one thing. Yes, the the new approach to the, well, I don't want to call it the new approach, but the different altered approach. Yes, that's definitely one way we're trying to kind of not react to what is happening, but be proactive about it, be ahead um, of the game so that we can, once we, you know, once we figure out the so-called new normal, we can be, you know, ready. We can be, we can have a few pilots behind us um, in terms of what is possible. But then also at the same time, what has been happening, social injustices, a lot of the, the climate policy that, you know, a lot of emphasis has gone into with the wildfires, with the extreme heat of last year, a lot of that work was already incorporated in the scenarios. You, you know yourself, we have, in most of our cities, we have an equity component to that. So we have been speaking about these things for quite a while. Last year, or 2020, put so much more emphasis on that, just how important it is. And sometimes, I mean, it's 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 quite dramatic the way things things turned out, um, but it also it just re-emphasized the 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 path that we are on, how important the work that we are doing, how important it is to to keep honing in on those aspects of climate justice, of social equity, of working on these aspects, incorporating that into the scenarios, not taking a singular or a, a, a one only you know science climate science approach but incorporating the political incorporating all the environmental aspects incorporating the social aspects which are so important and then what we do and my work has has taken or has always taken a transformative approach to it yes we do need to adapt the way we do things to achieve these futures but a lot of these futures that we are desiring would need transformative change so in the transformations work as you know a lot of the emphasis is on that intersection between climate, between social injustices and, and the way that we treat our environment, uh, the, 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 solution, the nature-based solutions that we take, the consideration for bi biodiversity, for the biological systems, that interface between humans and, uh, and the environment and how future pandemics are then going to come to the fore. Those, you know, that, those have always been in our work. I think now they just have come to the fore and now we need to find ways to emphasize that, keep up with the pace because like you can, as you've seen over the past few weeks, past few months, a lot of the literature has come out with more and more of whether it's incorporating by uh, pandemics um, as, as well as the social aspect, as well as, you know, the climate. Now we kind of need to keep up to that, keep up with that, find ways that we can still rigorously um, analyze these, but at the same time contribute to the field with um, with good enough work. I, th I think that would, yeah, that would definitely be it. And I think it's just, you know, it's something that has always been on on our minds. Um, yeah, last year yeah. just last year was just, you know, that underline, underscore, put in bold. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so I think it's, you know. 
the scenarios work is really important because um, first, you know, we you can you, we can gather data and the information that we need to visioning, you know, the alternative and then positive futures um, uh, adapting to climate risk. But also second, that we can incorporate these di different aspects of uh, the cities, the, the justice and equity issues, uh, uh, kind of, you know, all, um, how to say, co um, collected converged. and then, yeah, converged as a in shaping the future. So I think it's really, really important work. So And then also, if I could, and I know we, we talk about this quite often, or maybe it's things that we talk about, but we struggle or I struggle to bring into my actual write-ups, but the historical component, the how we got here, I mean, we don't know all the answers yet, especially with the pandemic, but in terms of the social injustices, we, and the, and the, the, the destruction of the, of nature, that we know how we got here, right? So 2020 essentially is a turning point where you say, okay, fine, that's the future we don't want. How did we get there? If we were to, you know, rewind to 2080, um, some of us were only just born, but, you know, some of us were, you know, decision makers or early researchers at that time. What did we do at that point? What could we have done differently? What do we need to do differently? To move forward and, and to change but then 2020 maybe because it is such a you know pivotal year we could use that as a turning point and maybe also trying to find i don't know i'm just thinking about this as we as the conversation goes along you know those turning points we, when we realize okay fine we need change and how do we want to affect that change because i think because that also falls into scenarios work when you ask yourself how when you ask yourself how did we get here not just from a policy point of view what was it that contributed to the problem? How did the system get the way it was? And what do we now need to change? And I think we'll always make reference to 2020. Yeah, um, this nicely fit, uh, leads into my next question because you know our podcast, the Future Cities podcast is focused on the future of cities. And you know, how would you like to see your city change by 2080? So, you know, maybe Atlanta, you live in Atlanta. So how how would you want Atlanta to be changed by 2020 with this new normal? And then, you know, how if we things uh, different, if you, if you do things differently and, you know, you know, I don't know, like I've heard the stories that, you know, now from now on in the future to the future, you know, there will be no future that we don't wear masks or that we don't have COVID-19 viruses. So if there is no way to eradicate the viruses you know, completely. So, you know, we, we are going to live with it, you know, masks and the COVID-19, I guess. Well, how, how would you like to see Atlanta change by 2080? How the climate future will be different in Atlanta? Okay, well, I mean, like you also said, uh, 2020 was definitely a turning point. It will, there won't be a, consideration of things without um, the way that the pandemic has affected us. So in terms of Atlanta, Atlanta's adopted me. It's not my home city, but definitely I see it as my home now. Uh, Atlanta is pretty green already. It's, it's got a lot of trees, a lot of green spaces. So I would like to see more green spaces, more connected green spaces. I think right now there's all these amazing pockets. And um, with the pandemic being stuck inside 2020, got to explore all those pockets but they're not connected so i'd love to see them connected definitely fewer cars 
I mean, if it was, if it could be one of those carless cities, 2080, I think it's possible for Atlanta. Definitely would need a paradigm shift in terms of the way people see transportation, but it also is possible in the structures that they have in place right now. In terms of connected, they have all these amazing green spaces, but if only they could be better connected. And I think to make that possible, you'd need to get rid of a lot of um, the highways, a lot of the cars, but that's all possible. And, and I think important to make that happen would be to incorporate the voices of, of, of people that live in these areas currently, that have lived in these areas historically. Um, because right now, the way that things are set up is, you know, places that were considered as undesirable get gentrified and then people get pushed out. But if you design these futures with these people around the table, for example, with, uh, you know, communities of practice that can sit around the table and give their visions for the future, I think then it will be a more equitable um, Atlanta in 2080. And not just because, you know, certain groups want to have a bicycle path that connects it all, myself included, but um, the diverse voices, I think, in the design of the city. I think that would pretty much be it. If I were to, if I were to, if one of my scenarios for the Atlanta group was uh, a greener city, it would definitely be greener, connected, fewer cars, but then also at the same time designed by the people that actually live in those areas now or that historically have lived there. Um, not a gentrified, not a, you know, oh, it looks cool on paper, but it, it's something that is valued by those who live there now. Um, I'd say. Yeah, I would definitely want to see Atlanta connected, more connected and greener. Yeah, sounds good. So that leaves us our last question to you. So, you know, hearing your story, you know, it's, you know, it's really fascinating. It's, it's really different from mine. And, but we, here we are, we are working, even though we are focused is different, we are working on urban resilience to future uh, extreme weather events. So do you have any advice for people thinking about going into your field? I would probably give more general advice because like, mm. I don't know if you gathered this, but I don't really have a field. I mean, I do call myself an ecologist sometimes. I do put on my little name tag, postdoctoral associate, but sometimes I, or most of the time I, I struggle to identify that field because I have created a position, so to say, or I, I'm desiring or I'm working towards a position that doesn't really exist, something, you know, at the science policy interface, and there is no trajectory towards that. So my general advice would be, instead of looking at positions and titles and existing jobs that are out there and working towards that, find yourself or find out what, like I said earlier, what is that problem that needs to be solved? How do you see yourself solving that particular problem? And then what do you then need to be uh, in order to contribute to the solving of that problem? And yes, I mean, I get it. You do need, um, we do need to earn a living. You do need to apply for positions. Those positions comes with certain titles. So, you know, you do need to know more or less uh, what is happening in that field, but don't confine yourself oh, I need to apply for positions in X, Y, Z. Be open to that so that, you know, you can con contribute to the, to the solutions, but not confine yourself to certain titles. Because then, I mean, although at the same time, we also do need specialists in certain things, we're always going to need economists. We're always going to need taxonomists, people that, are, that know the human heart, for example. 
But I think when it comes to the more complex problems of today, complex problems that we're trying to solve for the future, be open to to that and 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 you know forge your own path. There, there are there are going to be times when you get that option. It is it is always comforting to stick to what you know, comfort zones. But it's also so much more magical when you kind of open yourself up to the unknown and uh, getting to know different people. And then I think on that same level, I would say uh, within our field, get to know someone or something different, something that doesn't always align with the way you see things or somebody that speaks a different language or that comes from a different background or it doesn't always have to be a person. Just get to know something that is different to what you're used to because I think that will then make you a more empathetic um, researcher, re uh, scientist uh, in your field. Don't always stick to what you know and the groups that you are comfortable with because there is so much more out there. Have something to challenge yourself, I would say. <laughs> That's a great advice, you know, embrace complexity and diversity of the world and yourself. So, you know, that, that's a great advice. You know, it inspires me too. So thank you. That's, uh, that's all of our questions uh, that I uh, wanted to ask. Is there any last comments and anything that you want to say to wrap up? What, what is your advice in the field? I, I'm always keen to know. My advice to the field, huh? I think I would say the same thing. So, you know, I've been always interested in, uh, you know, water environment problems and at the uh, global scale and the global level. And then, you know, also like personal aspirations on you know, studying things at, you know, more broader scales. That's, you know, that complexity, complex interest of mine, you know, led me to this, you know, studying urban systems to climate risks. So I think, you know, follow, you know, identify a problem and then trying to work your way to find a solution for that, you know, is a good way to, to lead, to be led to urban systems, you know, research. Cool. <laughs> good. Great. Thank you, Lelani. Thanks for joining us, taking your time to um, tell your story to us. And I, we hope to listen to you again. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me and I look forward to it. Future Cities Podcast is an outreach effort brought to you by the Urban Resilience to Extremes Sustainability Research Network, or UREX as we usually refer to it. To learn more about UREX, visit www.sustainability.asu.edu forward slash urban resilience. If you have any questions, feedback, or suggestions for future episodes, you can email us at futurecitiespodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at futurecitiespod. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.